You're listening to an audio sermon from Trinity Bible Chapel. For more information, please visit our website at trinitybiblechapel.ca. Well, good morning. Merry Christmas again, and I'm going to invite you to turn to Luke 2, and we'll finish off this cliffhanger that I've been working through for these last two services over three services, I guess. This is the third service. Today, on this Christmas time, and I think I've already told you, but I love Christmas, I love gathering for Christmas, I love singing the Christmas carols and the Advent hymns, and um, all that is involved in this particular time of year is so special, and most importantly, reflecting on and meditating on the incarnation of our Lord and Christ, who very God became very man, born of a woman, in order to redeem the world. And this was essentially him invading occupied territory. That's what Christmas is, and this is what we'll learn about today. It says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So it's all his, but it is under or was under foreign occupation by the enemy. And Christmas is Christ invading this enemy occupation behind enemy lines and launching an assault on the forces of hell. Let me read from Luke chapter 22, or Luke chapter 2, verse 22, right through to verse 35. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the Christ or the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For, your, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples the light of revelation to the Gentiles for the glory of your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Let's have prayer. God in heaven, we pray for your blessing now upon this time that the true message of Jesus Christ would be known and his power as he enters into and topples um, occupied territory would be proclaimed to all. And then all who are here today might joyfully find themselves under his kingdom and rule might be redeemed from the power of the occupier, Satan himself, and be brought into his marvelous light. 
anoint the hearing and preaching of your word this morning. In Christ's name, amen. So again, it'll be a little shorter this morning than is typical. And we're in part three of a really quick series on Luke chapter 2, verse 22 through 35. And just to get you up to speed, in the gospel of Luke, at this point, Christ has already been born, as you know, and we have the shepherds have visited, or the angels have visited the shepherds by night, and they've announced the message of Christ that he's born, and then the shepherds go and they visit Mary and Joseph in the manger, and then on the eighth day, Mary and Joseph take Jesus to have him circumcised, as was the custom of the law of Moses, and then here we are on day 40 of Jesus' life. He's 40 days old, and he's being taken to the temple. Mary and Joseph take Jesus to the temple at day 40. He's 40 days old. And they were going there to offer the ritual sacrifices after Mary's um, purification time after the birth of the child, which was 40 days. And they ascend to this glorious structure in Israel on a mountain in the middle of Jerusalem, 600-foot walls upon which the temple courts were built, 70-foot 75-foot walls above those temple courts, and this is uh, an imposing structure. It's an enchanted structure. It's um, majestic in all of its appearance. It's absolutely beautiful, and this is the centerpiece of Israel and the centerpiece, certainly, of Jerusalem, and if Israel was to be the most um, important country in the world at this time, and Jerusalem was the most important city, the temple was the most important part of that city, so it's really the center of the earth is the temple of God. And these humble servants of God, Mary and Joseph, enter into the temple. They send the temple stairway from the east side into the temple, and they enter through the 75-foot bronze doors. And they bring their gifts, um, their sacrifices, and they bring the Son of God. There's no ceremony for this first time that Jesus enters the temple, the Messiah enters the temple. There's no pomp um, there's no honor guard to greet him. It's just, it's just cold, stale, dead religious formalism. The temple is occupied, lots of people in it, bustling with life. I mean, it's so big, it took 18,000 men to repair the temple under the hair of the great just 16 years earlier. But it, and so it's a great, marvelous edifice with this teeming with people in action, but it's dead. Dead formalism. And yet there was one man waiting for Jesus in this bustling place of life, and that would be Simeon, who I've tried to introduce you to over the course of these last two days. Simeon, we know he was from Jerusalem. His name was Simeon. We know that. We know he was longing to see Jesus, and then we're told that he was righteous and devout, and then beyond that, we don't know anything about him. Very quick mention of him in Scripture, but yet... He was the one man that was waiting for Jesus to be brought into the temple. And he was the one man in the temple that was longing to meet Christ. And so finally, Mary and Joseph bring the baby up the stairs, bring him into the temple, this great edifice, and there's Simeon waiting for them. And they hand the baby to Jesus, or they hand baby Jesus to Simeon. And Simeon is able to look up into the heavens and essentially make a prayer to God and say, I've now lived um, for what I wanted to live for. I'm ready to die. I've, I've accomplished my purpose in life. I've met Jesus. I've met the Messiah. I'm ready to go. I've 
I've done everything that I want to do, and that was, everything I wanted to do was to hold Jesus in my arms. And now the consolation of Israel is here, and I'm ready for the Lord to take me. And he tells us why. He tells God why. Jesus is the salvation. Jesus is the light. And Jesus is the glory of Israel. All right there in that one baby. And Simeon was ready for him. And Simeon's now ready to go and meet his maker. Now, you could imagine, moving on from the review, you could very well imagine as a young, a young couple, they're teenagers, and they just had a baby. And it's been an eventful few weeks for them. I mean, there's, there's been an angelic visits. There's been a virgin birth. Shepherds have come who've been sent by angels. Um, they've been following the Lord. There's been visions. And then there's the birth of Jesus. And, and now they enter into this temple. And Simeon is giving this great word to heaven that this is the salvation. This is the light. This is the glory of Israel. And, she, and he is Mary's baby. To be cared for by Mary and Joseph. And, and so you could imagine a young couple I, in, in this situation reflecting on how special of a scene this is. They'd have stars in their eyes, don't you think? Wow, God shows us. What a glorious future we have. What a wonderful life awaits us and awaits our Jesus. What great promise we have as we look upon the life of this child and what great hopes we have for our son as they look upon the Lord. So you could imagine this starry, idealistic mood that might have set in in the minds of Mary and Joseph is all of this action was happening and then finally there's this prophet of God waiting in the temple for them who tells them that this is the salvation of God, this is the light of God, and this is the glory of Israel. And I'm ready to go and meet my maker because I've held this baby. It all kind of climaxes in this moment. Visions of angels and dreams and virgin birth and so on. And then this wise old sage, this old prophet, he turns to them and he, uh, he has a few words for them, the young couple. And he, he wants reality to set in. Yes, the kingdom of God has arrived. Yes, salvation is in our arms. Yes, the light of the world is in our arms. And yes, in our arms we hold the glory of Israel. But guys, don't get kind of Disneylandish dreams about this. This is, this is the start of a war. And he's come to topple empires. Because he's launched... An invasion in occupied territory. And let's have a realistic understanding of what this toppling and what this invasion and what this liberation and what this salvation and glory all entails. And it's not going to be a cakewalk, my young friends. Verse 33 tells us, of course, as I just said, and his father and his mother, Jesus' father and mother, Mary and Joseph, marveled at what was said about it. So I'm not making this up. They marveled, rightfully. They reflected upon it. And the beauty and the glory of the situation was setting in. And with all the talk of the baby cooing and salvation coming and light dawning and glory appearing, you know what? We could do the same. And we could get caught up in the sentimentality 
of Christmas and forget that there is a spiritual reality now at play. And yes, this baby is embodying the salvation of God and the light of God and the glory of Israel. But make no mistake about it. I want to be absolutely clear today that this baby represents and in fact is an invasion in occupied territory that is bent on destroying him and everything that he represents and stands for and all those people who will follow him. And the wise old sage, as wise old sages often do, gives a reality check to the young couple. This is a really hopeful message that Jesus brings with him, but it is a message that is hopeful, but it's a hope that will pull the church of God through chaos. It's a message that will pull the church of God through trials. It's a message that will turn the world upside down and shake the world all up, but it's a message that will pull God's true people through all of the chaos and all of the turmoil in this topsy-turvy world is the world itself declares war on the Son of God and the Son of God declares war on the world. This is a new kingdom that's being established, but it is a new kingdom that is being planted. The flag of the new kingdom is being planted in the ground of a foreign occupying force behind enemy lines. And he's putting the flag in the ground and the devil knows what's going on. And the devil has agents in high places all over Jerusalem occupying the temple, occupying the offices of government. And the devil is not going to be happy about this. And Jesus has launched an assault on the devil's territory, what he perceives to be his territory. Yes, there will be salvation. Yes, there is salvation. Yes, there will be light. Yes, there is light. Yes, there will be glory. And yes, there is glory. But it will come by trial. It will come by war. And it will come by chaos. And so it's about time we all figure out what side we're on, what team we're on, because there's now rival kingdoms that are warring against one another, factions. And why should we have a sober-minded approach to Christmas with all the beauty and the wonder and the awe as we look into the eyes of this precious baby? Why should we, in a sense, be snapped out of the sentimentality of it all well, I'm going to give you three reasons that, and these are three reasons that Simeon gives to Mary and Joseph. And the first reason is this, is that judgment has now come with the coming of the Son of God. With him comes a message of judgment. Look at verse 34. Simeon blessed them, right? And then said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. Now, those aren't, those aren't warm words. These aren't words of the imminent cessation of war. Yes, there will be cessation of war. Yes, there will be peace in the world. But these are actually words of war that will lead to the cessation of war. What did he say? This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. Now, there's a Christmas passage that we very often read. And the Christmas passage that we very often read is Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5. And Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5 says, A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley 
shall be lifted up. And every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together from the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Every mountain brought low, every valley raised up. What's that talking about? This is exactly what Simeon's speaking of here. The valleys represent those who stand in positions of power and exalt themselves, demonically so, over others. Talked about the end of Matthew when Jesus preached the Olivet Discourse and praying that the mountains would fall into the sea. And I think I argued persuasively that those mountains represent governments that oppose Christ. That he's, Simeon is saying, by this child, literal governments will fall. And the valleys will be raised up. Well, who are the valleys? Well, the valleys are the meek of the earth. Those who are seeking after God under the oppression, trusting the Lord in the middle of the misery, even when it looks like all is lost, even when it looks like the good guys aren't winning, even when it looks like, you know, we probably shouldn't trust God, the, who's the valleys? The valleys are the people who it looks like they're losing, but they're actually winning, and they know they're winning because they have the faith to see it, although they don't see it with their eyes or hear it with their ears at the moment. And the mountains in the story of the gospel reject Jesus. The Jewish leaders reject Jesus. The Romans reject Jesus. The occupying forces of Rome reject Jesus. Those in power reject Jesus. The religious leaders reject Jesus. They all reject Jesus. And then the new world is brought in, and they're brought in with who? Twelve disciples that are basically a bunch of backwoods fishermen from Galilee who trust the Lord. See, the mountains are brought low. They don't matter. But the valleys are raised. The most important men in this kingdom that will last forever are not the mighty rulers in Rome, nor are they the religious leaders in Israel, but they're a bunch of backwater fishermen from the region of Galilee that Jesus has chosen to exalt and will be the apostles and the rulers in the new kingdom. Judgment has begun. And that means a rattling of civilization and priorities. Yes, this is a new kingdom. Yes, a new kingdom will come out of this. But on top of it all or through it all, things are going to be brought low that look like they're impressive and things are going to be brought high that look that they're unimpressive. This new kingdom is literally going to shake the earth in judgment. And so what is Christmas? Well, Christmas we celebrate the birth of a baby the light beaming off of his face, onto Simeon's face, the hope that this baby represents. And in all of that, it represents great hope because it is the beginning of a holy war. And it's a holy war in occupied territory to bring judgment to the kingdom of Satan so that those who are part of the kingdom of God will be exalted. Judgment has come. It's now here. So Simeon reminds them of that. And not only does Simeon remind them of the fact that judgment has come in Christmas, but he reminds them of the fact that trials await. Verse 35, he says to Mary, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. That's a nice word for a young mother. 16, 17-year-old mom who's carrying her baby. 
meeting this wise old sage in the temple, the, the one man who was waiting for the baby, the one man who wanted to hold the baby and rejoice over what God has done. He turns to the young mother and he says, a sword will pierce through your soul also. It's not going to bring trouble to everyone else. It's going to bring trouble to you, young mom Mary. Now, I, I suspect that Mary didn't fully understand what was going on here, but she would have pondered it. And while Jesus came with a glorious kingdom, I don't suspect that at that moment is her and Joseph, or she and Joseph were marveling over these things. I, I, I wonder whether she really understood that he was the man of sorrows. John 19, verse 25 through 27, that tells us that as they drove the nails through Jesus' hand and as he suffered in anguish on the cross, his mother stood there and watched him suffer in the most torturous and brutal death with excruciating pain. The same woman that held this baby right here was just told by, by old Simeon that the sword will pierce through your soul, meaning you will be in pain and you will suffer as you watch this man of sorrow suffer. As you understand the trials that he will go through, this child, so innocent, so beaming with promise that lie in their arms, and Simeon thrusts the bare truth into her mind. Yes, this Christ child will triumph. Yes, this Christ child will overthrow wicked empires. Yes, his kingdom will cover the earth. Yes, he will pardon sinners who come to him. But you know how he's going to do it? He's going to do it by sorrow. He's going to do it by suffering. And he's going to do it by a bloody cross. And Mary's going to watch it happen. And this is how, by the way, the kingdom of God has gone forth since. It's gone forward in the hearts of a suffering people who march on as Christian soldiers into war, ready to take it on the chin from the enemy, just as our Jesus did with the promise that salvation, light, and glory will triumph. So Simeon sobers them up pretty good. He tells them that Judgment's now here in this child. He tells them that trials await them because of the birth of this child. And then he tells them thirdly and finally that this child is going to expose hearts. Verse 35, after he says to them, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. This is an interesting thought. The, the picture is, is you're going to be going through life, and then all of a sudden there's going to be flashpoints, and you're going to be surprised by people. I didn't realize that that person was on my team. Wow, whoa, I thought he was on my team, and now he's an enemy. Things are going to be flipped. You thought the temple rulers were the great rulers, did you? And the religious men in Israel, well, now they're the ones that are crucifying and killing the Son of God, demanding that he be dead because they hate him and his true religion. J.C. Ryle said, the enmity to God of some, the inward weariness and hunger of others would be discovered by preaching of the cross. It would show what men really are. This is, this is what the cross does. It shows you who people are. How, do you want to know how you are? How do you respond to the cross? Do you know who you are? How do you respond to the cross? And how do you respond, not just with the preaching of the cross, but how do you respond when you are called to bear the cross on behalf of the crucified one? And to carry his cross and suffer as a disciple of Jesus Christ on this side of eternity is the kingdom of God goes forward by the church of Jesus Christ bearing their cross generation after generation after generation. That exposes hearts. 
Because then you realize who's really in and who's not in. An old wise sage, Simeon, knows it. People will surprise you. And throughout life, God will shuffle the deck. The judgments, the trials, the preaching of the cross, the sorrow that God's people bear will draw a dividing line right down the middle of the earth. On one side, you'll have those who are part of the kingdom, and on one side, you'll have those who are not part of the kingdom, and there will be nothing but animus between the two. Because they are living on completely different planes and thinking different thoughts and operating on completely different presuppositions, and they have completely different goals. They're enemies. You have the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. On one side, you have those who embrace the trials and the cross for the true kingdom. And on the other side, you have those who cling to this world and can't stand the thought of suffering for a kingdom that is to come. So while holding this 40-day-old baby and promising salvation as light beams off his face and glory is promised of him, we could really get sentimental about this and we could miss the big story. Miss the big picture. And Simeon, as old sages do, puts things in perspective. This Christmas story is not a story that's isolated. It's part of a bigger story. And the bigger story includes one of its Christ child who brings judgment, one of a Christ child for whom trials and sorrows await for him and his people, and one of a Christ child who will expose the hearts of men through their deeds. Is they're forced to react to the situations that he thrusts upon them. Simon in his old age, or Simeon in his old age, really puts things into perspective. Judgment, trials, and hearts being exposed. And only through the chaos will this kingdom of Christ come out on top. So yes, there's light. Yes, there's salvation, and yes, there's glory. All those things we talked about yesterday. And it's all awaiting in this child. But this light and this salvation and this glory is not realized in a moment. It's realized through trials and sufferings and judgments is God literally shakes the earth, and then his people eventually come out on top through it all as they learn to walk by faith and trust in him, even when it seems unreasonable to do so. It was as if old Simeon was insinuating to Mary and Joseph as he looked at that baby. He said, as if he was insinuating to this new couple, as dreamy and as excited as they were for the future of their son, now's the time for you to pick your side. What side are you on? Whose kingdom are you a part of? When the lines are drawn and the chips are down, where will you stand? And that's the question that Christmas time should be asking of every one of you. What side are you on? With the lines drawn, and on the one side you have the kingdom of darkness, on the other side you have the kingdom of light, on one side, you have the kingdom of Satan, and the other side, you have the kingdom of Christ, and Christ offers full mercy and full pardon to all the traitors on Satan's side. If you but cross enemy lines and join him 
in the overthrow of this satanic kingdom. And you're, yourself, are willing to bear his cross. He offers you the opportunity to be pardoned and be on the winning team. But yes, Christmas is beautiful, and yes, it's special. Yes, it's a wonderful part of the time of the year. But it is a small part of a big story. It might be one of the most important parts. But it's a small event that's part of the big story. And what is the big story? Well, the big story is that at Christmas time, the Lord Jesus landed behind enemy lines under an occupying force and declared war on hell and promised and guaranteed its overthrow and invites us to join him. Let's have prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for our Lord Jesus, our Savior, who was born of the Virgin and who died on a cross and is our great champion that leads us into victorious battle over the forces of the enemy. I pray that all in this room would be born again and would be trusting in him and him alone and be justified by faith, that would know Christ and treasure him. And we too, like Simeon, long to see the light of God, the salvation of God and the glory of Israel when his kingdom finally and fully conquers this earth. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.